Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. Oh, what fun it is to ride. Welcome back to the fifth episode of the Spider-Man Crawlspace.com podcast. It is uh, December 19th. A couple days before Christmas, we're going to call this the Christmas edition of the Crawl Space Podcast. Uh, we're joined by a couple good friends and old regulars. We've got Jr. Welcome, Jr. Welcome. Happy holidays, everyone, and God bless us, everyone. There you go. Thank you, Charlie Brown. <laughs> and we have Spidey Dude. Spidey Dude, Merry Christmas. Uh, Merry Christmas to you, and hopefully you guys are not getting the ice that's about a quarter and a half inch a quarter oh, inch thick that we got around here. So, uh, <laughs> hope you're staying warm. We, we had that uh, a couple weeks ago. I'm glad it finally got to you. <laughs> oh, gee, thanks. Uh, well, um, keeping with the icicle theme, was that a segue or what? <laughs> we're going to talk a bit about in this, the first couple topics, uh, since it's Christmas time, we're going to talk a bit about everybody's favorite Spider-Man Christmas story. So, JR, you got one that uh, you remember reading that just popped out at you? Well, there's a there's a couple that um, uh, because of certain moments uh, kind of stick out for me. I've never never really liked a lot of the Christmas stories because some of them t- tend to be a little bit uh, overly sentimental or uh, or whatnot. But there, there's a couple that I thought were, were rather clever. One was uh, written by Peter David in uh, Spectacular Spider-Man 112, and uh, it concerns a second story uh, burglar who's dressing up as Santa Claus, uh, pretending to be a a um, uh, shopping mall Santa, uh-huh. and uh, while he's uh, t- asking kids what they want for Christmas, he's also getting their addresses so he can <laughs> rob their homes. Yeah. And uh, he um, happens to wind up uh, at Peter's building. Uh, Peter's, I think, still living at that apartment, in Ch- Mrs. Muggins' apartment building. Mm-hmm. And uh, is it the one with Candy, Randy, and Bambi? I yes, think. Yes, yeah. yes, it is. Yes, it is. <laughs> and funny that you should mention that because yeah. I believe it was Candy, one of her, her or her son. Uh, sat on Santa's lap, and Santa got their address and decided to rob the place, um, and uh, of course Spider-Man tried to catch him, and the, bur- the uh, burglar got out through the chimney, but when the burglar got on the roof, there was a uh, there was another figure dressed in red. Uh, he wasn't a superhero, he was dressed in red and white, and had a beard, and he wasn't very happy with the way his reputation was being ruined by this guy, so that, that was a clever little story. And then there, there was another one uh, that Tom DeFalco wrote, Amazing Spider-Man 420, where uh, I think it's the first time that Peter and Nate Gray, the uh, X-Man, meet. Mm-hmm. And basically it's just a, a nice little story with Peter inviting Nate for uh, out for Christmas dinner, and in gratitude Nate gives him a, a dream of uh, the then late Aunt May uh, appearing to him and telling him that uh, everything is going to be all right. Yeah. So that, that, was, that was a nice little moment. You know, Spider-Man meets a lot of dead relatives. Remember in Spider- Amazing 500, he got to meet Uncle Ben again. Well, it, I guess if you're in for a penny with the guy that can climb walls, you can mm-hmm. talk to the dead, I guess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, uh, Spidey Dude, do you have a favorite Christmas Spider-Man story that you've read over the years? Uh, probably my mo- my favorite one would have to be the Dan Slott-written uh, Marvel Holiday, the last Christmas special uh-huh. with the new Avengers. It wasn't really Spider-Man-centric, but it was absolutely hilarious in some of its moments. Mm-hmm. Uh, some great one-liners in there. Probably my favorite moment would be... Uh, Stark coming up with a uh, movable mistletoe that can that always seemed to go around uh, Spider Woman, so that way when when the guys would walk up, they get to make out with her under the mistletoe. <laughs> that was always fun. Nice to know but, that uh, Stark shops at Spencer's Gifts. <laughs> oh yes, oh yes. Uh, Do you have another one? Some other ones. Yeah. Yeah. Another, one other one I would probably that, that comes to best uh, comes to mind would be a uh, sensational. Of the first volume, number 24, uh, it was just a cute little Christmas story where Spider-Man's kind of become like a little bit of a Scrooge as of late at that point, and he finally gets the uh, meaning of Christmas. It also had a Hydro Man as the main villain as he yeah. was trying to get a foil, but really kind of a flutter issue, nothing, nothing too significant, nothing like, uh, what Jr. mentioned. You know, I was looking for uh, Spider-Man covers for the new uh, message board banner, and I ran across that sensational that you're talking about. It's got like a, a Christmas tree in the back, and, and Christmas uh, ornaments are flying at you with uh, reflections of the cast members' faces in it. I think. Another and yeah. Jr. That cover that you're talking about about the uh, the, Spy- the Santa one. I think that's spectacular 112 with Santa with the gun. Is that it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good cover too. Uh, a couple of my favorites uh, was Amazing Spider-Man 314. Uh, the cover has uh, Spider-Man and Mary Jane getting kicked out of their Skyrise apartment. They don't they don't last very long in a residence, if you notice. 
But uh, they get kicked out. Santa's ringing a bell for the Salvation Army out front, and it's got uh, Todd McFarlane art. Uh, that I think that issue he, he visits Uncle Ben's grave and he just kind of reflects on the year. So that's one of my favorites, and also one uh, I'd forgotten about, but uh, it is a Christmas story. is the very first issue of Marvel Team Up, where he fought the Sandman and oh, Jr. Help me out. Is it Human Torch? Was that the first? Uh, yes. Okay, Human yep. Torch in Marvel Team Up number one. That was a Christmas story too. Well, keeping with the uh, this Christmas Spider-Man theme. I'm sure at some point, us three geeks have all had Spider-Man toys or gifts given to us under the tree. What's uh, one of your favorites that you've received over the years, Spidey Dude? Probably uh, the really the only one I can really think of off the top of my head would be uh, probably the stack of comic books I got one year. Uh-huh. Um, I got like uh, the latest, uh, whatever the latest issues were, I think uh, at that time was around the uh, time where the uh, Carnage Cosmic story with an amazing Spider-Man was going on. Mm-hmm. Then I got a couple back issues like uh, what J.R. mentioned in his article, his latest article, uh, Amazing 180 was, was in that bunch. Uh, I think 160 and 198 mm-hmm. were those uh, those few issues. And, and uh, really, I don't get a lot of stuff for, concerning Spider-Man. That's, that's pretty much the big gift that I've gotten yeah. concerning Spidey. How about you, J.R.? What's, what's been under the tree for you? Uh, I was always rather fortunate because uh, I, uh, my father was never really the really tolerant of uh, the uh, superheroes or well he was tolerant but he didn't understand them. Yeah. Uh, this was a this was a guy who go to the movie take a, take us to a movie, science fiction movie and, and nearly fall asleep during it. <laughs> but uh, but my mother was always uh, she was always keeping my brother and I stocked on superhero and science fiction items. A couple that spring to mind is one year I got a uh, about a six seven inch porcelain. Uh, Spider-Man figurine, but basically he's just standing on a roof, but uh, it's based on a drawing by John Romita, mm-hmm. and it, it's supposed to be one of these limited collector's editions, blah blah blah. But <laughs> but it's just a nice little thing, and it sat on my de- it sat on my desk for a, for a very long time because it, uh, it it was it was nice looking, but not too ostentatious. Yeah. Um, another one, I remember one year, then my kids, uh, you know, of course when your kids buy you Christmas presents. Uh, I got a Spider-Man action bank where his <laughs> eye—you turned it on and his eyes glowed—and and he said a few key phrases. And then another one was the um, uh, an alarm clock where a little plastic Spider-Man uh, every hour goes up the clock, and then the Green Goblin pops out like the cuckoo bird and, yeah. and laughs ridiculously. So, <laughs> so those are those are some things that uh, kind of come to mind over the years. A couple of gifts that I've received over the years. Uh, of course, back in the early 80s was the Atari 2600 Spider-Man game, uh, where you have a little red dot and a little green dot, and Spider-Man climbs the building and beats up the bad guys in the windows, and you have to get to the top of the uh, skyscraper and defuse the bomb that the goblin has at the top. So I spent many, many an hour during my childhood uh, with a re- little red dot and a little green dot on the Atari 2600. Uh, another favorite that I got was uh, a couple years ago was a Hallmark ornament that has been on my tree for a long time. It's Spider-Man uh, with his arms stretched out, and you hook uh, has a little hook at the end of the web where you attach it to the Christmas tree. So that's a good one. I got one. that one too. Yep, that's a good. Jr., do you have that one? Is it the trifecta? Uh, I don't think I have, you don't that, have one. that one. That's um, a good one. No, we. Uh, one one year we uh, we we usually put a little uh, little Christmas tree in my son's room and uh-huh. one year they came out with uh, like they're very small ornaments but they were like the Marvel characters like Spidey the Spidey in, in his normal costume and his black costume and the Hulk and Wolverine and so we set up this little Christmas tree in my son's room and put these little superhero ornaments on them so so we do that and my third uh, favorite gift I got was a uh, Spider-Man and Mary Jane two pack where Spider-Man is dressed with a Santa hat, and he's got a little bag, and Mary Jane is dressed in a Santa hat and a very short uh, Mrs. Claus skirt. And I always uh, make sure to put that with my mom's village, so you see the baby Jesus, and then Spider-Man suddenly appears. I, I guess I missed that verse. <laughs> but, Jared, do you do something similar? Do you have a village or something with Spider-Man well, hidden in well, it? Well, um, what I used to do, my wife used to have a, uh, a manger scene. 
Yeah. And uh, <laughs> Spider-Man didn't really make an appearance, but uh, Miss Captain Kirk, Mr. Spock, and Dr. McCoy would as the three wise men. <laughs> and uh, and uh, up, up where the uh, kind of the, t- the top where the baby Jesus, the manger was, there was Spock looking down, giving. Jesus, the um, the uh, live long and prosper sign. Uh, my mo- uh, my wife was uh, she wasn't nearly as amused by it as I was, and, uh, and I've just never been able to figure figure out why. Is, it, is this a comic book thing, uh, Spidey dude? Do you have action figures and and villages for your with your folks? No, no. Really, I mean, uh, my mother sets up a village every year. She set up the Dickens Village, and we buy our little things like that to go with it. But no, Spider Man does not make an appearance. <laughs> as she would probably murder me <laughs> as my relatives would come over and be like, what's that in the middle of this village is a giant Spider-Man figure. Well, you know? That's part of the fun. <laughs> JR, you, you and I are, are alone, I guess. We're, we're the two geeks that do it. <laughs> yeah. and, and, and that's why they call us geeks, mm-hmm. I guess. <laughs> yes, it's a good thing we're married because we have a problem finding women with this. <laughs> All right, moving along from the Christmas theme, we're going to get into uh, some of the current issues of Spider-Man out. We'll talk some of the storylines. Uh, one of the most popular comics that came out was uh, Civil War number 5, and a uh, big turning point in that issue, if you're a Spider-Man fan, he's officially given uh, Tony Stark the middle iron finger, and he's switched sides. Uh, big big battle with uh, Stark, uh and evidently the Punisher rescues him in the, the sewer. Reactions from that, Spidey Dude, you want to talk, take it? Uh, the issue was not worth the wait. Um, I, I felt like that the momentum of the entire series has been just slow and lagging. Really, the series should have ended last month. Uh, without, you know, if we didn't have all these delays, we wouldn't have had to worry about, we'd be talking about Civil War VII right now. But, um, yeah, it was, it was an interesting little uh, exchange that he got uh, rear end handed to him by, uh, of all people, Jack O'Lantern and the Dusters I'd never even heard of before this book came out. But yeah. um, all in all, it was it was okay. I, I went and reread it today, and I'm like, uh, this is not exactly the best. Um, the amazing issue kind of fell flat, but uh, I, I think everybody knew he was going to switch sides. Yeah. So. It was not a shock. If, if you had to give it a grade, what would you give it? A, B, C, D, F. What would you give it? Uh, C plus. A C we'll plus. go with that. Okay. Jr., what would you give it a grade? What do you think of it? Well, uh, what 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 kind of grade do, does suck translate into? <laughs> um, I, guess, I guess suck would equal D. I guess or an F. Yeah, pretty low. Um, <laughs> I was uh, very disappointed and. Uh, I, I don't like to get all up in arms about late issues, um, but um, because there's other things, you know, in life to worry about. But um, I don't. I felt Marvel was a little disingenuous when this thing started running late, um, and you know, plus the fact that the issue was was rather weak. And if it had come out like when it was supposed to, you know, we'd be like uh, Spidey dude said, we'd be on issue number seven, and issue number five would, you know, would be just part of the overall plot. So, you know, I, I just thought the cover was extremely misleading. I expected Spidey to get his butt handed to him by the Green Goblin Venom and Bullseye. But, no, he got his butt handed to him by, you know, Z- Z-listers like Jack-O-Lantern and Jester. Yeah. And um, just a um, just a very disappointing issue overall. Yeah, I haven't ever heard of the Jester. I don't know where they've been hiding him in some back room or something, but uh, I guess they needed the villain to kill to make it impactful, but if the villain means nothing, it's not much of an impact. But, no, no, uh, no, go ahead. They, no, I was about to say, and, uh, one of them um, blew a bunch of hallucinogens Spider-Man's way, and there he, he's rambling and saying silly things like, you know, my girlfriend died of a broken neck, and yeah. it's real painful crap to read. Yeah. So. And I, I, again, I'm a little bit disappointed uh, that it's uh, running late. I'm, I, generally, I'm kind of disappointed in Marvel with two of their flagship titles running late. You know, Fantastic Four and Amazing have come out monthly for, what, 40 years, and all of a sudden uh, I'm noticing a lot of gaps uh, lately, and it's just disappointing. That's their two flagship titles, Amazing and Fantastic Four, and I don't think they should be delayed. Yeah. Well, when they rely so heavily on the main title, it's kind of hard not to give away what's going on or what's going to happen. I think that's the whole reason they're doing it. But like I said, uh, like you say, it shouldn't. They're the two flagship titles. Then there should be some villain issues or something. I don't know. Yeah. I, but that would destroy the trade. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, just dump those issues out. I don't know. But with comics being three bucks a pop, you know, you don't want some filler in there anyway. 
So yeah. I, I, I guess I'd give the issue a C myself. I, I really, I kind of liked how the Punisher was introduced at the end, and I, I enjoyed the Punisher War Journal number one issue. I thought that was pretty cool. But uh, yeah, just uh, I agree with Jr. The momentum's killed, uh, or Spidey Dude, whoever said that, that, that said the momentum's killed. And uh, but on the other hand, you know what? I'm I'm looking forward to the next issue. So you have to give some credit to Marvel for doing that. I, I mean, I still have interest in the book. But uh, I guess it's not as much as could be possible. So that's my two cents on it. Let's move on to another uh, topic that's uh, affecting a lot of Spider-Man fans. It's, uh, uh, J. Michael Straczynski has announced that he's going to be leaving the uh, the flagship title, Amazing Spider-Man, in a few months. I'm, I don't. I didn't ever see a uh, time frame when he's going to be leaving, but I would imagine sometime in 07. Uh, Jr., your thoughts on JMS leaving? Yeah, I think he's. Well, I don't know if he specifically said this, but I guess a lot of uh, a lot of speculation is pointing to um, this uh, project that he and uh, Casada are working on, the Spider-Man project, because that's kind of going to be his, his swan song. Mm-hmm. I've got mixed feelings about JMS leaving. Um, you know, you kind of got to look back, and, and when JMS started with, uh, well, uh, issue number 471, since we won't we won't dignify the volume two number 30. Um, <laughs> You know, we have to remember that the prior two and a half years were just, just awful. I mean, yeah. just absolutely awful. Yeah. And you know, JMS came in and and uh, and basically, and the stories picked up. You know, were instantly better. Mm-hmm. Uh, the problem is, uh, he, I think he's a good storyteller. I think he's a good writer. He certainly knows how to craft a story. I mean, he he did that with uh, his Babylon Five TV series. Mm-hmm. But it just seemed that uh, so often they just kind of fumbled fumbled the ball at the five yard line. Right. Um, the um, the uh, Mystic Spider storyline, which you know, not necessarily getting into the merits, uh, that just went on way too long. Uh, and, and and whether or not it's had a payoff yet, I don't know. And and it's one of those things I don't think any other writer will pick up on. So really, that has to constitute somewhat of a failure. Yeah. Uh, Sins passed uh, kind of the same thing, uh, an intensely gripping four issues that just completely falls apart uh, in the last two. And uh, even his uh, New Avengers story, which I thought was, which was actually one of my favorite stories, uh, just you know, co- uh, collapsed at, uh, on the final part because it turned out to be an overlong ad for the other, which yeah. you know, speaking of another story. But he, you know, he did many good things. I mean, one of the most notable things he did was he, you know, was uh, he had the clout to uh, say, I think Aunt May should know who Peter is, or mm-hmm. that Peter is Spider-Man. Yeah. Uh, he definitely uh, he, he's made a lasting contribution by you know uh, making her a, a far more uh, intelligent and uh, an interesting character uh, than she's been portrayed in the past. Uh, so uh, I give him kudos for that. But it was um, I think I think overall it was just it was kind of uh, it just wasn't what I'd hoped it would be. Right. So. You think maybe a B minus or a C? What would you give him? Uh, yeah, yeah, low B, low B, definitely. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and he's going to leave, and, and there's going to be so many little plots that, you know, we're not ever going to have know how they were going to resolve, like uh, the relationship that Spidey was building with this uh, police officer, mm-hmm. uh, the uh, the whole are we ever going to see that, you know, quote-unquote future Spidey story uh, that JMS hinted at in issue 500. You know, I mean, some interesting things we, we won't see, whereas things we couldn't care less, like uh, the other and the, the Mystic Spider, we, we got to see more than our fill of. So. Right. Do you have a recommendation for the next writer? For the next writer? Yeah. Oh, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be presumptuous enough to, uh, you know, I just want to be entertained. Uh, and uh, I, I wouldn't be presumptuous to tell him what, what to do, except I don't want to see him break up the marriage and... Uh, right. You know, I don't want to see any more characters killed off. <laughs> Amen, brother. <laughs> Spidey, dude, your thoughts on JMS leaving? Um, really a mixed bag. Uh, he yeah. has some good, like any like any run. There's going to be good, good and bad points. But I think the bad points have outweighed the good points. Mm-hmm. Um, when you look in retrospect, I mean, he brought him and Jenkins both brought Spider-Man out of the quote-unquote dark ages. Mm-hmm. Uh, they really. Crafted a great story with the uh, with Aunt May knowing Morlin, the Morlin arc was really a good story, except you know a couple of lines here and there. I've never seen anybody that has powers like me, or uh, nobody has ever hit me that hard. Kind of kind of threw me off. I mean, when you got the whole punching you in the face, <laughs> I think you know. Yeah. I think I think he, uh, Morlin could get killed by the whole. But anyway. There's so no ibuprofen that's going to help you with that punch if a <laughs> hole gets you in the face. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. 
So, you know, things like that, but uh, I, making Gwen Stacy a little bit of a slut, uh, mm-hmm. just a little bit. Uh, um, of course, his lasting contribution was getting the marriage back together and writing the marriage really well. Mm-hmm. Um, and like JR said, you know, uh, he did have Aunt May know, which is something that made uh, Amazing Spider-Man 400 such a memorable issue that she gave him his blessing to be Spider-Man. And that, that was one great... Uh, plot point that I think JMS hit the ball out of the park with, and he made Aunt May a character instead of a caricature. Yeah, I, I think so. that's his biggest impact, in my opinion, also. But yeah, I think he took, what, uh, 10, 15, 20 years off of Aunt May and j- didn't make her always a damsel in distress. You know, he's always having to get the medication to her. He's always worried about her heart. If he tells her she's going to have a heart attack and die, but he... Uh, Made uh, had a lot of character growth with Aunt May. I I liked that, but you know, on the negative part, I I didn't like the whole spider totem. I mean, just let him be bitten by a spider. Don't make the spider have an agenda. I didn't like that at all. Uh, I think I guess spider fans are pretty much split down the middle about the spider totem. But I did like uh, in the beginning his Ramita Junior uh, team up JMS's, and I love that uh, that arc with uh, Doc Ock and uh, JMS and. Spider-Man introducing Mary Jane to Captain America. I, I still love that scene where he introduces him. And um, the Gwen Stacy slut story. <laughs> I don't think they cu- called it that on the cover of the books. But, uh, yeah, not a fan of that. I mean, that's, the modern kids today uh, don't really know Gwen Stacy. That was a story in the 70s. I mean, uh, I mean... They pine on Gwen Stacy a lot, and uh, I'm not sure if the modern Spider fan really knows who Gwen Stacy is. So, but I know who she is, and I wasn't a fan of it. So, but uh, next writer, my recommendations, uh, I got to go with Dan Slott. I want the kid to have a chance in the in the flagship book. I think he does a heck of a job. Underrated writer, and bring him back with uh, Romita Jr. and we'll all be happy. So, uh, moving on, uh, we'll talk to a bit about Jr. He's uh, Going to be a published writer. Congratulations! You're going to be in a new uh, Spider-Man-related book called Web Slinger. You're going to have an article in there. Tell me a bit about the book. Congratulations! Oh, thank you very much. Uh, of course, you know it's just it's just uh, being in print. It's not being a media celebrity like yourself. <laughs> but uh, but but I'll take it. Um, yeah, um, a few uh, a few months ago, back in April, I was approached by um, Ben Bella Books out of Dallas, Texas, and. Uh-huh. They uh, routinely publish uh, collections of essays on subjects uh, pertaining to pop culture, and they get an, an eclectic group of people uh, to write, you know, 10, 15-page essays, uh, and they've done it on subjects such as Superman, the uh, X-Men, Harry Potter, The Matrix, Battlestar Galactica, and apparently the editor had, had come across Spidey Kick's butt mm-hmm. and uh, had read some of the essays and asked me to contribute. And uh, so, of course, once I picked myself up off the floor, uh, <laughs> I, I was I was flattered, and uh, I, uh, I turned in a contribution uh, which is called um, the um, the absent father and Spider-Man's unfulfilled potential, and it kind of mm-hmm. goes through, uh, which most fans are you know pretty well aware of the kind of the, the undercurrent in the Spider-Man saga about his uh, his search for a father figure to uh, to replace uh, Ben. Right. And so we go through a few of the characters who seem to fulfill that role or could have fulfilled that role and, and what the impact on his life might have been had uh, uh, had, had they done that. Right. Um, as far as the book itself, you know, here, here, you know, here, it's like I'm going to pretend I'm on Oprah now. But, uh, <laughs> it's, it's, this is the Spider-Man Crawl Space Book Club. Welcome to it. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, which, which is interesting because some of the people who have written essays in this particular um um, book uh, have have written uh, Spider-Man uh, novels. There's a uh, an author by the name of Keith R. A. And I'm going to oh, butcher D- his last D- name. Candido. Yeah, yes. I've talked to him a few times on email. Oh yeah. yeah. Okay. He's got a he's got a story. He's got an article called Superman versus the Amazing Spider-Man, where he compares and contrasts the two icons of the two major publishing companies. Yeah, D. Candido used to be the editor of the Marvel Prose line back in the late '90s. He's a good guy. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh, so, he's a pro then. Yeah, he's a, he's a pro. <laughs> what what what? Jeez, what am I doing with this? Bar? Uh, <laughs> man, you, you uh, walked into a bar. It sounds like the beginning of the joke. <laughs> uh, uh, there's another article on uh, where someone is comparing uh, the the reimaginings 
of Spider-Man by both Sam Raimi and, and Brian Michael Bendis as far as who did the, the best job of, of reinterpreting Spider-Man for the 21st century. Huh. Um, there's a, um, a Robert Greenberger, who's been an editor, I guess, at both uh, uh, Marvel and DC, uh, contributed an article called Spider-Man, Ultimate Loner, Ultimate Partner, uh, about even though Spidey's a loner, he seems to team up with an awful lot of guys. Yeah. And uh, one that's what's, what's pretty interesting is, is by somebody who, I guess, grew up in Forest Hills. So he takes us through Forest Hills and uh, basically says, here's you know here's the neighborhood that Peter would have grown up in. Here's the schools he would have grown, gone to. So it, it's a pretty interesting collection of essays. And uh, it's, gonna be, it's already available for pre-order on Amazon. And I think it's published around the 1st of March. So uh, it's, it's, I'm flattered to be a part of it. And... Uh, you know, and I encourage everybody to go out and buy it. I mean, <laughs> well, it's only twelve bucks. Yeah, the, <laughs> order now. Operators are standing by. <laughs> That's right. But, it's right. And we've we've got a. If you'd like to pick up a copy, we've got we provide a link on the main page of the SpiderManCrawlspace.com, and also SpideyKicksButt.com has a link where you can order it through Amazon. So feel free and pick up a copy. Now, speaking of people, also. Uh, in print, our own Spidey Dude had a letter published in uh, The Amazing Spider-Girl number 2. Congratulations on that. Thank you, thank you. H- how'd that uh, come about? Uh, well, um, a lot of letters that are written in the letters page of Amazing Spider-Girl are actually written on the uh, Spider-Girl message board at Comic Boards. Um, mm-hmm. And I typed my letter out, never thinking that I'd actually get printed. Um, but... Of course, it was during a time, if you, if you read the letter, that it was during a time that my sister was ill, and yes, she is okay, just just to throw that out there and clarify. Uh-huh. Um, and it was really a letter just about how great uh, Spider-Girl has been and how great uh, issue number 100 has been. So, you know, I've been plugging Spider-Girl the past, what, four podcasts at least? Yes. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's kind of cool to have, your, have a letter that you wrote yeah. printed in there and like I say, if you want to, if you want to write your thoughts about the title, you can go to the Spider Girls message board on comic boards, and uh, Molly Laser or um, Tom DeFalco himself will either uh, either answer it there, or give any question, or just throw it in the uh, in the issue. So yeah, there you go. I think doesn't uh, Tom personally re- in the in the comic book doesn't he personally write a response? Is that how it works, or is it the editor? Uh, I, I, I think, think it's Tom. Tom. Yeah, I think it is too. Yeah. Also, he used uh, to be the editor. Yeah, he's been Marvel Comics, but I th- also think Ron Friends frequents that board too, and also um, I, well, I've yeah, seen it a time. couple times. Uh, also, yeah. what's that? The artist before Ron Friends on the Spider Girl title? Uh, uh, Pat, I can't pronounce his last. Yeah, Olaf. I think is his name. Yeah, I think I've seen him a few times. But uh, yeah, that's awesome. Are you gonna have it framed or anything? That page. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna go on. Uh, I've actually ordered another co- another copy through Mile High. And I'm going to get that page framed and yeah. have, like, the, the cover on the front and have, like, yeah. a two-sided thing. We, we, so. we didn't uh, uh, pre-discuss talking about this, but I'm going to go off on a little tangent. You know, Spider- Amazing Spider-Girl just recently relaunched, and uh, I think her numbers are... Uh, the numbers were about maybe 60,000 people ordered that first issue, and I just saw the, the recent numbers was about... It's dropped down to forty thousand for the uh, second issue. This just get, uh, what numbers? What I think I may be off a bit, but they o- I often say that rebooting a title doesn't help much, or they, people complain about rebooting. But that that's quite a jump in numbers. What do you think of that, guys? Jerry, you want to hit that or? Well, um, I guess I'm I'm not too surprised. I mean, Marvel finally, you know, did a little bit of promotion on 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 the title for the new number one, right. but um, I. Uh, you know, I, I don't know. I really don't hold it, hold much hope uh, of it uh, of it uh, keeping uh, strong numbers. Uh, it, it seems uh, it seems to have been a niche title, mm-hmm. uh, having a small but very loyal fan base, which is a shame because it's a very good book, right. and particularly since it's an all ages book. Um, you know, kids can read it, but it doesn't talk down to them or adults either. Um, and uh, plus us old fogies, you know, enjoy seeing a middle-aged Peter Parker and Mary Jane deal with this rather precocious young lady uh, and, uh, you know, play superhero. Uh, I, I'm, I'm afraid that uh, before before the first year is out, it's probably going to be back to its 20,000 and sub numbers. Spidey Dude, what do you think of the reboot uh, numbers jumping and 
Thoughts on that? Um, well, it's great to hear that, that, that it has jumped that much. But I, it's, I don't think this book was ever designed as a direct market book. I always thought it was designed more for the supermarkets. You know, right, it deserves to be right beside something like Archie Comics. Right. Or, um, you know, I mean, I, but you never see comic books in places like Walmart. Or, I mean, you see them in like Barnes & Noble, but I've only, in my local Barnes & Noble, they only have the um, trade paperbacks, you know. Something like that, where you can reach out to the all ages books, because no kid is going to go walk into a uh, a comic comic book store and yeah. you know get a specific comic book. They're the target audience. They're not really shooting for the, the right audience. I don't, I don't think, and I, I think that's been the biggest problem with this title. I think it'd be probably one of the best selling titles out there yeah. if they just you know promoted it beyond the direct market, and that's yeah. where it kind of falls short. Because I mean. You remember back back when you were a kid, mm-hmm. both of you guys, when you went to the you went to the gas station or the or the you know malt and you know the wherever you went and you know, like the yeah, well, someplace I, you know. Yeah, when I, I I used to buy comics straight off the spinner. I always wanted a spinner to have in like my comic book collection, and you know you used to go every week. You, you used to pull them off the shelf and you used to spin that thing around. It'd make an awful noise because no one ever added WD forty to it. But uh, you yeah. p- pick uh, any comic book off, and it, you know yeah. they used to be impulse buys, and like a candy bar or something like that. That uh, you know you're you're walking around the supermarket, you see oh there's colorful titles, there's uh, comic books, and and kids uh, need that. It it's more of a niche market. It's, it's uh, 30, 40 year old men like ourselves that are that remember that, and uh, I wonder about the younger kids. Jr., how did you used to buy them back in the day? Well, uh, of course, you know, I, I, back when I was a kid, we were actually still taking the horse and buggy into town rather than <laughs> <laughs> a car. But, uh, Spider-Man was drawn in a cave. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he was. Uh, but, um, you, know, you know, comics were everywhere. I mean, you know, like you said, they were impulse items. Um, mm-hmm. They were something that you could pester your mother into buying for you just to shut you up. Right. Uh, and they were they were cheap, you know. I mean, it wasn't, um, you know, it, it wasn't a, you know an ex- really expensive purchase. But now it's just, you know, I, I live in a town um, in the south of Cleveland, and I I would suspect we have about thirty thirty five thousand people. We have no comic shops in the county, and there is only one grocery store that has a spinner rack with comics in it. Oh. Um, I mean, and you know, so so how are kids going to find comics? I mean, it's but that's a you know we could probably have a special edition of the show talking about that. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's but I will say that Spider Girl has you know she's made a showing in the uh, the school book fairs because uh, my daughter has uh, picked up a copy once uh, one of the uh, small trades at a, at a book fair, so she is making the rounds there. So yeah, which I've is where she seen... needs to be. That's where her audience is. Exactly, I've seen her at book fairs also, and. Uh... But it's amazing you still have a spinner in your area. <laughs> all, yep. all, I don't have a single supermarket or any store, but the, I do have a comic book store in uh, in town, and that's. But I, I don't order buy any there. I, I order online and get my monthly. I call it my monthly supply of crack. <laughs> it comes from UPS. I order through MailOrderComics.com, and, and uh, they always hook me up very well. And uh, but you know I, I and. Uh, $3 is also not an impulse buy. That's not $0.60 cents that I used to pay no. uh, back in the day. So. No. And really, you're not getting your money's worth. I mean, we, I mean, again, you know, like, I don't want to really get off on a big, on a tangent, but... Uh, we got know, plenty of time. We're only at half an hour so far. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> but uh, but we're, you're really not getting your money's worth for $3. I mean, we, re- we buy out of habit. Yes. Um, but, uh, you know, you spend three, you know, I mean, you spend $3 and you get maybe one-sixth of the story. You know, yeah. I don't think so. So yeah, I agree. They used to cram the uh, the sixty cent books with a lot of word balloons. But all right, you guys ready to move on? We'll uh, uh, as usual, we're going to go to the message board. There's a thread that I started. Oh, let's see, back on November twelfth, asking uh, regulars from the Spider-Man Crawlspace message board to ask us questions. And the first one uh, is from Spider Caster. And he's also a fellow Spider-Man podcaster. Uh, he has the amazing Spider-Cast. So if you want to listen to that, just type that in iTunes. and It's a good show. I appreciate that. And he asks, um, inter- interesting hearing you guys, your guys' thoughts on the best and worst Spider-Man moments. I'm a big Ditko fan, 
And I'm all for him coming back, even as, if it's just for one issue. And it seems you guys are also big Ditko fans. Um, what's your favorite Ditko, the, the quirkiest, and what you consider the best of the run? Spidey Dude, do you have any favorite Ditko moments? Um, I have to go with probably the uh, Master Planner storyline, um, the final chapter, um, which I guess was number 33, I, I suppose. I can't remember off the top of my head. Um, but yeah, that was probably my favorite Ditko moment. Um, always, he he kind of had that quirky kind of it kind of was a carryover from if you look at like the the forties and stuff like that. It kind of evolved from that. And then you, when you look at Rabita and Dicko, they're night and day almost. But um, the quirkiness of, of uh, Spider Man and his world, he has a, such a lasting impact. But he probably that one moment was probably a defining moment in Dicko's run was when he was lifting that huge amount of machinery above his head. So yeah, I actually have a little PVC figure on top of my uh, computer tower I'm looking at right now. It's got, I guess it's a replica of uh, Spider-Man lifting some machinery off from that Ditko uh, issue. One, that's one of the best ones, I agree. JR, do you have a favorite Ditko moment, or what did you like about Ditko? Well, I've always actually been more of a, of a Ramita Sr. fan than a Ditko fan, uh, but, but when you step back, though, and, and, and I don't really have a favorite quote-unquote Ditko moment, but, you know, I, I just have to stand back in awe at the sheer creative power that he had, mm-hmm. um, well, both he and Stan, for example. Um, you know, there's a lot of talk about, uh, for example, Bendis and Bagley breaking uh, uh, Stan's and Jack Kirby's run, you know, for, for single creative teams, but mm-hmm. really, I mean, it's not even close. I mean, you know, Kirby and, and, and Lee just packed so much in, you know, into their 102-issue run that you know, Ultimate Spider-Man has only told a fraction of the number of stories that Lee and Kirby told, yeah. and you know, Lee and Ditko. I mean, it, it was a, it was an amazing run, and Ditko had a very strong influence on on the direction of the uh, the title. I mean, for example, uh, there was a um, uh, magazine a couple of years uh, when the first Spider-Man film came out, and they had a, they ran an old interview with Ditko where he said that uh, Stan's idea of the Green Goblin was a was an evil spirit released from an Egyptian sarcophagus. Yeah, I, I'd never uh, heard of that uh, before. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I think that, you know, when Ditko decided to make him a more down-to-earth villain, uh, and, you know, I think Ditko, I think everybody pretty well realizes now that Ditko was the one that came up with the looks of, of most of those villains. Yeah. And they're still his core rogues gallery today. So, you know, while I don't necessarily have a, um, you know, a favorite Ditko moment, uh, I just kind of, you know, stand back and, and look at the, uh, you know, the magnitude of of you know, his his contributions with Stan and just kind of, you know, shake my head and all, really. I mean, I don't know if we we see that kind of raw genius uh, displayed that, that uh, much anymore. And I, I forget what article I read it in, but uh, someone said that Ditko designed Spider-Man's suit as a villain. He has more of a villain-looking suit than a hero, and that's what made it so iconic. Iconic, I mean. That, and I, I would hate, I guess I often hear... I, the latest I heard was uh, Jim Lee. Artists hate to draw that web on his costume. It, if you look at it, it's, it's pretty intricate to have to draw that web, and it's uh, all Ditko's design. So, uh, Let's move on to uh, Venom65437 from the message board. He goes, hey guys, great show as usual. I don't know about other people, but the link doesn't matter or bother me at all. So, JR, that's your green light to ramble. <laughs> Since it's a once-a-month thing, it's nice to just go for a while. And for new questions, uh, well, you know how Spidey has friends, maybe some of his greatest or not-so-greatest team-ups throughout the years. Team-ups, more outside of Marvel team-up. Spidey, dude, what's some uh, fave team-ups over the years? Well, you got to go with the, the classics like, uh, I don't know, Human Torch and, and Daredevil. The, uh, probably my favorite team-ups are, just because they're so oddball, is Wolverine because you you don't really see them the two working together in terms of story content, but usually because of sales. <laughs> mm-hmm. But you know when they have teamed up together, they've worked well together, and I think they worked well together in New Avengers as well. So that'd be my favorite kind of quirky team up. Right. Uh, Chair, who's one of your favorite Spider-Man teams up with over the years? Uh, the only uh, you know I think most of uh, Spidey's team ups. Uh, uh, particularly the Marvel team-up run, we all have a nostalgic, you know, uh, uh, look at, you know, kind of feel for it. But really, I mean, most of those stories were contrived. 
Yeah. Um, I, 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 and I really don't think most of the team-ups work well. And I, and I, and I have to veer slightly askew of Spidey Dude's uh, uh, opinion of the uh, Spider-Man Wolverine team-ups because I've never liked any of those. Um, I just don't feel that the, the the writers have quite figured out how to make that relationship work, and they've not taken the, you know, they've not taken this this kernel that was left when um, back several years ago when um, uh, Marvel did the, those minus one issues, and they established that uh, Richard and Mary Parker when they were um, when they were um, Shield agents that they actually rescued Wolverine uh, from the Nazis. And wow, uh, so, I, so I Wolverine totally knew Richard Parker, <laughs> and no one has ever, ever picked up on that thread. Huh. Um, so, uh, you know, I feel that you know that that relationship, uh, you know, the, the right author hasn't gotten a hold of that one. And uh, but I always enjoy Spidey and the Fantastic Four. Um, yeah. They just seem to be that you know the Fantastic Four is Marvel's first family, and Spider-Man is the weird neighborhood kid that comes over to play every <laughs> once in a while. So that, that's so the one that works best. You're saying the Fantastic Four is Mr. Wilson and Spider-Man's Dennis the Menace. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Awesome. Uh, what about Wolverine? Remember the uh, Spider-Man Wolverine team up from like the '80s that had the Hobgoblin in it? You didn't like that one? That was a big milestone. Um, well, that, I, well, I don't. They didn't have the Hobgoblin did it. That was the one where Ned Leeds was, Leeds was killed overseas, wasn't it? Yeah, well, he was in a Hobgoblin suit, wasn't he? Well, yeah. Well, the way Jim Owsley wrote it, though, you didn't see him in the actual Wolverine Spider-Man story. You only saw it in flashback in Amazing Spider-Man 289. Oh, mine uh, are blending it together. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it was in fact. Well, that's one of the most famous mishaps in uh, you yeah. know Spider-Man history. Uh, yeah. Jim Owsley killing off Ned Leeds before he was revealed as the <laughs> Hobgoblin. So, uh, but yeah, that was. Um, that's a famous one, all right, but uh, but not one of my faves. One of my uh, one of the team ups throughout the years that didn't work was uh, I, I think it's Marvel team up 138 where it was assistant editor a month, and Aunt May ha- got the uh, cosmic powers from Galacticus, and him and or her and uh, Franklin Richards stopped uh, Galacticus from eating Earth by get, feeding him uh, twink or fruit pies. So <laughs> Just yeah. telling that story. Well, we, we, out loud we, sounds very weird. What were we saying earlier? We oh, we knew the old girl always had it in her. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, to touch upon what Jr. said, uh, there has been one single writer that has touched up on the uh, that issue that he was talking about, but it wasn't in a, ever in a comic book. It was actually in a uh, in a novel called uh, Spider-Man: Revenge of the Sinister Six, oh. uh, written by Adam Troy. Uh, Castro. Yeah, Castro, yeah. He wrote that, and the very end of that book, um, Wolverine makes a little appearance, he talks about that. So that's pretty much the only person that I think that has hit up upon that uh, that history between him and the Parker family. You no, know, so. I've, I've had that book on my nightstand for a good two, three years. I'm about halfway through that book. and I, I, uh, It's a great read. If anybody wants to uh, check out that Adam Troy Castro, it's a trilogy. The first one is a uh, tra- It's like a paperback book. It goes for mm-hmm. some pretty high money on uh, eBay and Amazon, but uh, great read. I, I I never heard of Troy Castro until I read that uh, Spider-Man trilogy, and he's a heck of a writer, so highly recommended. In, in fact, J- if I may yeah. put in another plug, Adam Troy uh-huh. Castro contributes an essay on J. Jonah Jameson in Web Slingers. <laughs> so. I'm noticing it wow. then. <laughs> All right, it sold me. I'm picking up the book. <laughs> But I, I have heard very good things about that book. I've yeah. never read it, but I've, I've heard a lot. You should, of, uh, you heard should a lot pick it up. It. I think they still have it on Amazon, also. All right, we're moving over to one of our favorite posters on the message board. Is F and Spider-Man and his truck? And <laughs> <laughs> we all want to know what it looks like. What yes. what make and model? Yes. What? F and Spidey, post a picture of your truck. We would love to see a picture of your truck. I want to know if it's got a gun rack. You know, I can <laughs> just imagine a gun rack. And, you know, and, 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 uh, him, uh, you know, running across, uh, running across bandits or something like that, and popping out of his, out of his truck. And well, he, he's killing the whole image of being cool uh, with a gun rack by listening to the podcast. In it, <laughs> he's supposed to have country and western music or some ACDC blaring, but. Oh, yeah. Chilling with the podcast. He's got great taste, in my opinion. But anyway, he asks, uh, why not discuss how the black costume will be introduced in the upcoming movie? Obviously, it won't be through the Secret Wars. So, Spidey Dude, how do you think it's going to be introduced in the movie? Well, I think it's going to be introduced by uh, 
probably something similar relating to John Jameson, like the uh, cartoon, like uh, a substance or some, or maybe some site. I, I really don't know. That's probably my best bet. I can't really imagine, and I haven't really read anything upon it. I'm just kind of sitting back and waiting to read it, you know, to actually see it before I read it. But I think it's probably the best bet for me. Uh, Jer, what's your thoughts? You know, I've, I've heard it's, it might be something like the blob. It just kind of comes from outer space attached on something and uh, just happens to coincidentally find uh, find Peter one evening in the park. Um, that's what I've heard. You know, ultimately, you know, we'll yeah. find out on May 4th. So. Right. I, I, I don't think they're going to stick to the Bendis uh, storyline because they'd have to introduce a totally new character of uh, Richard Parker, and I really don't see them doing that. Uh, but maybe a, a science experiment in uh, Kirk Connors' lab or Osborne Industries or something like that, big black goo. Or maybe they got an uh, asteroid or something and they uh, take it to Osborne Labs. Maybe just guesses. I don't know how they're going to do it. But uh, I hope Venom uh, shows up more than the last 15 minutes of the movie because I would love to see uh, Venom on screen. It looks awesome from just that one scene of him coming at the camera and swallowing the camera in the last scene of the trailer. I think that looks awesome. All right, we'll move on to the next question. This is uh, from Spyboy. We've kind of talked a bit about the Clone Saga. We'll just hit briefly on this one topic that he asked. He asked, uh, the Clone Saga, how well has it aged? Uh, J.R., what do you think of that? Has the Clone Saga aged well? Uh, you know, I haven't read it in years. Um, no. The thing is, it, um, it, it has so much negative con- many negative connotations. Um, I don't think it's probably aged well from the perspective that it, was, it came out at a time when uh, everybody was trying to, you know, shake up the, the hero lineup. You know, and Marvel, you know, uncreatively just tried to follow the bandwagon. You know, they followed the death of Superman, and then, you know, also in that time uh, frame, uh, Batman got his back broken, I think, by Bane and was replaced by somebody else. And, you know, that, that whole sordid experiment of killing off or... or, or um, uh, you know, severely damaging uh, the heroes. Um, you know, that was definitely a '90s thing. Uh, so, in that regard, I think I think the concept uh, of, of replacing Spider-Man was, is is rather dated. The stories themselves, I honestly, I honestly would have to go back and, uh, and read them with a because uh, the first time I read them, I read them with a very biased eye. I didn't like the way they were going, and, and frankly, I thought a lot of them were just crap, regardless of what one thought of the story's conclusions. So, Dad, you know, that's a good question. I, uh, I honestly don't know. You know, it, it, everything looks better through rose-colored glasses or looking back to it. You know, people think uh, stuff from the 70s is classic, but at the time you think it's crap. But, you know, I, I think, uh, but you have to look at it, that, that that title sold incredibly well. It was It was complained to no end. And a lot of people got their introduction to Spider-Man through that clone saga. So I guess it was effective in one area because... Kids can't get their Spider-Man at their local gr- drugstore anymore, so I wonder how they're doing it. But and somebody that's a big fan of uh, the Clone Saga, Spidey Dude, what's your thoughts? Has it aged well? Um, has the books aged well? Part of it has, and part of it hasn't. I think um, certain areas, like certain stories, like uh, Amazing Number Four Hundred, obviously is probably one of those absolute all-time classics. Yeah. Um. Uh. Things like, uh, I think uh, the concept of Baby May has kind of got dated now. You know, younger, hipper Peter Parker. Um, the fact that nothing has, has really uh, remained from that storyline, would a lot of people would say is not is a, is a, is a look that, is a testament that it has not aged well. It hasn't had any lasting impact that mm-hmm. other storylines have had. But it's also one of the most debated storylines in Spider-Man history. So, in that regard, it's probably aged well in, in terms of a, of a spirited debate. But other than that, yeah. um, just certain issues have aged well. Um, like I say, uh, probably one of my favorite uh, miniseries out of the, at, at that time were, uh, was uh, Spider-Man Redemption, which was something I plugged a couple months ago. But I, now that I've read the whole thing, it's really well written. And there are some well-written parts and some poorly-written parts. So, 
moving on to the next question, Venom65437 uh, asks us again, he really dug the last podcast talking a bit about condition of books, and uh, I guess we, we can ask, uh, how do you guys store your comics? I mean, how do you keep them in good shape? Uh, Jared, do you have a certain, do you put them in an uh, airless vault, or what do you do? Yeah, I wish I could afford an airless vault. <laughs> yeah, me too. But, uh, <laughs> no, they're just, uh, in fact, they're sitting right behind me in a bunch of long boxes with, uh, with uh, backer boards and uh, Silver Age bags. Uh, I always prefer the Silver Age size bags. But, uh, yeah, yeah, they're they're bigger. Yep, you can fit, yep. fit the comp book in yep. easier. But, but that's it. Too. Just kind of the old, you know, it's it's the old fashioned way in, in the long boxes. Yeah, that's what I, that's the same way I do it. Uh, Spidey dude, how do you keep your books in good shape? Well, currently they're all stuffed into a dresser at my um, parents' house right now. Most of them are. My favorite <laughs> issues right now are in long, uh, I have two long boxes that are uh, stored with my favorite issues and my current issues. But other than that. They're they're uh, stacked neatly together in a in a dresser right now. I I I had to chuckle. Uh, did, have you guys seen the movie The Forty Year Old Virgin? Have you seen that oh. movie? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I have. I cracked up in the opening scene where the guy had long boxes. I'm like, man, and his apartment is so cool. He's got Migu Spider-Man dolls and stuff and long boxes in his apartment. <laughs> but Jr. and I are a test that geeks too can find women and get married. Exactly. <laughs> Gives me hope. All right. Yeah. <laughs> I guess it helps if they're blind, right? You know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, they have to. Never mind. I was going to say they have to read with their fingers. Never mind. Uh, <laughs> oh, oh. Chuckles. Chuckles. We're moving on. We're moving on. <laughs> Chuckles. Chuckles says, "I love the podcast. It gave my guilty conscience a poke about trying to get back into Spider-Man. So you know what, fellas, we may have converted a, a reader. So that's a good thing. Love the uh, the message." Tag or the uh, the Joker image. It's very cool. And it says, "Jr., you're a pretty loud guy." I don't know what that means, but I I would take it as a compliment. I I think. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not quite sure how to take awesome. that, but uh, <laughs> I guess that means that he has to turn it down whenever I come on. So. <laughs> I you get my thumbs up. All right, F and Spidey's back. He asks how uh, Secret Wars discussed. The Secret Wars and how it relates to Spider-Man now. Without it, there would be no black costume and all the excitement and fun that came with it. Maybe it's an outdated idea. Uh, Jr. Secret Wars. What's what's your thoughts about the impact on Spider-Man? Uh, uh, other than the black suit, none. Uh, Secret Wars. I never liked Secret Wars. Um, when uh, when it first came out, uh, I stopped buying it at issue number four. And yes, I should have held on and bought issue number eight because now I can't find it for less than twenty twenty five bucks. But um, yeah. it was a big, uh, you know, it was designed to sell toys. Mattel came to Marvel; right. they wanted to sell a bunch of toys. And then, you know, rather than assign it to another writer, Jim Shooter, who was the editor in chief, decided that he was going to write it himself. Uh, which, uh, and of course, you know, and collect all the you know, the royalties thereof. Which seemed like a conflict of interest, uh, and and there's a lot of there there was a book I read once, uh, which, which you know covered a lot more than that, covered about 30, 40 years of comics. But the Secret War, there was a lot of debate on whether or not that was a you know deliberate uh, attempt on Marvel's part to suck as much cash out of the uh, retail system as possible, so there'd be nothing left for uh, other for the other companies in their books. You know whether that's true or not, I don't know. But to me, that that's the legacy of Secret Wars. Um, you know, and it's not a very favorable one. Yeah, Spidey, dude, your thoughts on Secret Wars? I've actually never read it. <laughs> I'll be <laughs> honest; I've never read no. the series. I just read um, reviews, and of course, anything that dealt with the black costume. Of course, I read the parts about that. But other than that, I have not read a single wow. thing. Gotta get you the trade, son. I know. I know. It's one of the classic. It, uh, I'm a kid of the 80s, we uh, discussed in the past. Uh, uh, JR's more of a kid of the 70s, I would imagine, reading Spider-Man, and I'm more of a kid of the 80s. And, and Spidey Dude is more of a, a 90s, 2000 uh, reader. And for being a kid of the 80s, man, Secret Wars was it. You, I, I looked forward for a full year, every issue coming out. I loved uh, get, uh, buying the uh, comic off the spinner, going to the the toy department, picking up, the black costume Spider-Man, I thought that was the coolest. I, but even as a kid, I thought it was lame how every figure came with the shield. I thought that was kind of dumb, actually. <laughs> but, man, I love the Secret Wars. Uh, 
I haven't read it in a good ten years, uh, but I, I, I'm afraid to. <laughs> From what Jr. said, you know, it, 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 I might not hold up after all these years, but man, as a kid, I had fond memories of it. So, well, some, some people right, even uh, like Maximum Carnage, so you know, there's something out there yeah. for everybody. You know, uh, that 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 storyline is covered a lot. I mean, people talk a bit about that a lot. All right, we'll move. Up, we'll wrap it, the show up a little bit. Let's do uh, recommendations of the month. Jr., what you reading? What you watching? What What do you recommend for people? To watch? Well, since this is uh, December and it is uh, as uh, we uh, do this, it's a few days from Christmas. Uh, so my recommendations are both Christmas oriented. Uh, there are two movies: uh, A Christmas Story, of course, uh, the uh, infamous uh, run on TNT 24 hours a day. Uh, you'll shoot your eye out. Um, I just think that uh, I just I just I think that um, you know Darren McGavin shines as the old man. Uh, he reminds me a lot of my old man, uh, particularly where the profanity was concerned, and uh, the uh, the two little brothers always fighting reminded me of my brother and myself. Uh, and then the poor mother figure who holds the family together, but who who is woefully underappreciated for what she does. Uh, so I, you know, that, I always like that one. And then uh, as far as the classics, a uh, the 1951 black and white uh, movie version of A Christmas Carol, uh, starring Alistair Sim. Uh, Christmas Carol's been was done before and done after many times. I think that's still the the best version. Uh, if you can get, if you can, uh, you know, get over uh, some of Sims's uh, overacting at the very end when Scrooge finds redemption, uh, there's a there's a pretty you know pretty powerful message about uh, mm-hmm. you know about no matter how much you you know how much you screw your life up uh, that, that that there's always hope. So so those are my two recommendations for the uh, for the holiday season. Spidey dude, your recommendations for uh, December? Yeah, uh, keeping up with the holiday theme. I personally, as a Patrick Stewart fan. Well, recommend the uh, TNT version of A Christmas Carol. I thought he did pretty good in that. Uh, um, uh, and I do, I do remember seeing that as a kid, the uh, that version that Jr. is talking about, and I, I thought it was a very good movie. But I absolutely disagree with Jr. I despise A Christmas Story. I do. Oh, dude. I, I, I guess it's something that because I had to sit there and watch it every year, I've got I've grown to hate it. So um, we're going to disagree there, Jr. But other than that, I would recommend uh, It's a Wonderful Life uh, as a great, yeah. as a classic Christmas tale that I think everybody should see. Well, I, I will keep with the Christmas theme and recommend a movie probably someone has al- already seen, but uh, I try to watch it every uh, year, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. I love Chevy Chase in that movie. <laughs> Uh, just a classic, classic role for him as Clark Griswold. I actually love all the vacation. People give Vegas vacation a uh, hard time, but I love that one. But try to avoid National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation 2. That was one of the worst movies ever made. Chevy Chase was not in it. It was a made-for-TV movie on NBC, and Randy Quaid and his wife were the stars, and they actually brought back Audrey from the first a vacation movie, and they they uh, went to a tropical island, and mishaps began. But man, that movie is so bad. <laughs> Another well, you can't uh, classic get more Christmas than a tropical island as a backdrop. <laughs> yeah, how could you screw man, that, that movie? So bad. If you know what, it it may be a good movie just to watch for how bad it is. But man, that thing is bad. Uh, also, um, I just recently saw The Pursuit of Happiness with Will Smith, a very good movie. So I recommend that one. And also, a final Christmas movie is The Muppet Christmas Carol. Love that thing. I try to watch that uh, every year, and uh, uh, you can't go wrong with Muppets. No. So. <laughs> All right, guys. Uh, let's wrap the show. I'll cue the Incredible Hulk music, and we'll wrap it up a little bit before we go. I want to publicly thank F and Spidey. Uh, I've recently upgraded uh, my uh, podcast. Uh, we're getting a lot of traffic from all over the world. I want to thank everybody for listening. Uh, so I had to upgrade my bandwidth a little bit, and he uh, sent in some money uh, through PayPal to help with the bandwidth costs. And I want to thank F and Spidey for that. And if you'd like to, if you like the show and you uh, want to donate, we provide a PayPal link at the bottom of the crawl space and also on the Podomatic page. And if everybody chipped in a dollar, <laughs> I will be set for a long time with bandwidth costs. So I appreciate everybody listening and uh, downloading. The uh, us talking about Spider-Man month after month. Also, I want to plug uh, Jr. You've got a new article up. You just released it about uh, Bart Hamilton. Tell, tell us a little bit about okay, that. Okay, yeah. I, after a uh, prolonged sabbatical, um, 
I uh, started <laughs> writing my uh, Spidey Kick story articles again, and uh, we're uh, we're further along on the uh, the story of Harry Osborne. And in this article, we'll de- we're dealing with uh, the actually we're dealing with the Barton Hamilton era of the Green Goblin, uh, and uh, you know basically it follows that classic uh, story from Amazing Spider-Man 176 to 180. And uh, two words for you, uh, Sonic Toad. <laughs> Remember that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I read that part in the article. I love that part. I don't think the Sonic Toad has been seen since. No, he hasn't. It was just, it was, it was, uh, it was just too much of a deadly weapon to handle. Yeah. Maybe he's related to the Leapfrogger, whoever that villain is that uh, Spider-Man teams up with a little bit. <laughs> but uh, check that out. I've provided a link on the main page of SpiderManCrawlspace.com, and also it's uh, linked on SpideyKickSpot.com. So, guys, I want to thank you for another uh, great podcast. This is the December issue or December podcast. If you'd like to write a review, feel free to uh, post it on iTunes. We've got one review so far, and we're just looking what you guys think of the show. And also, I'll provide a link on the message board for suggestions uh, of topics that we can talk a bit about in the January edition. So, guys, have a Merry Christmas, and we will see you in January 07.